our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Hey, um, have you ever heard the joke about paper? Have you ever heard the joke about paper? If you haven't, don't worry about it. It's it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it can only get better from here, people. It's the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I hope you are having a blessed day. I hope that you, you truly know that Jesus truly does love you and that he's there for you and that he desires for you to invite him into every aspect of your life, especially those parts of your life where you don't think you need him there. I'm really excited that we're coming to the end of the Easter season. We have Pentecost um, Ascension Thursday upon us tomorrow, May 13th. So excited about that. And also excited that this is the 16th episode of the David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is our sweet 16. This is exciting. And you know how this show works by now, right? So in the opening monologue, I'm either going to red pill you, maybe get your blood boiling, and then may, or we're going to do some sort of interior conversion type of thing. We're going to talk about the spiritual life. And based upon how the first half of the show goes, then the second half of the show is going to be the opposite, right? So, uh, so either we're going to start cool and heat up, right? Or we're going to start calm and then we're going to flip the switch. Today, we're going to start hot, right? And in the second half of the show, I have Dr. Mary Schneider from Marquette University College of Nursing on. And she's also at the Institute of Natural Family Planning. She's going to be on to talk about natural family planning from the perspective of a nurse, which I think is really interesting because I, I didn't know anything about natural family planning until I became a Catholic. And then when Felicia and I, before we were, when we were engaged and about to get married, you know, we had to go through those classes at the parish for marriage preparation. And I think everyone has to take those classes before the sacrament of holy matrimony, right? In the Catholic church. So I learned more then about natural family planning. I learned things that I probably don't know why I had to know, but I learned them. And so I'm excited to have Dr. Mary on to talk about how she approaches natural family planning from the perspective of a nurse practitioner, right? In union with, with the, the Catholic church. So, if you'd like to be part of this show or by calling in and opining or asking a question of Dr. Mary or myself in the first half, I would love you called in at 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. Or we're live streaming on the Twitter, the Facebook, and the YouTube. So you can always drop a comment in there. And either myself or the producer, Cisco, will see the comment and we'll get to it. We'll be happy to do that or if you know I'm, I'm just on the camera right if you're watching the show you just think i look lonely and you you think i need a friend please please call in um 877-757-9424 sissel is the producer of the show like i said um you can also see sissel you'll hear her voice if you call in you can see her on back to the father which live streams um on fridays i believe back to the father and make sure you listen to Catholic Drive Time, which is the best Catholic morning show on Catholic radio. Catholic Drive Time on the GRN network. Listen to that in the morning. Face to face on Thursdays with Father Hezekiah. Uh, listen to that. And Intersections on Monday with Bree Dial. Great show 
about just what's going on in the world and what's going on in Rome. So I enjoy listening to that show as well. So that's what's going on um, today and on the GRN network. Remember, I, I told you um, during a couple, I think a couple of weeks ago, I think I, I told you that my daughter, Deja, she was, my daughter, Deja, she was, um, she's graduating from the University of Cincinnati. And I had noticed during the commencement speech that the young man who was chosen to give the address to his peers, he had kept using the word human. He kept saying human during his speech and he was using it in a way that was intended to elevate the idea of being human as the ideal, as if anything less than treating people well was to be an animal or was to be less than human. And this is a position of humanism. Humanism has at its basis. The idea of humanism is that uh, being human is the starting point for serious moral or philosophical inquiry. Humanism believes that the most important thing is what it means to be human. This is in opposition to the Christian idea that believes that the prime, the most important thing is what it means to be in Christ, to be human and divine humans being made in the image of the divine man. So humanism and Christianity have nothing in common in a sense. Humanism believe that human is the highest ideal. Christians believe that being, um, uh, being conformed to the image of Christ is the ideal. So humanists are also romantics in that they, they stress the potential value and goodness of human beings while ignoring human inclinations towards sin humanists they also believe that they must seek solely rational or human ways to solve problems the christian belief is in prayer and appealing for the divine intervention is is foreign and unwelcome to the humanists in a sense human humanists they want to just look at okay how can we humans and use reason to solve a problem while Christians, they want to appeal both to reason and to Christ, to God, for, to grace, to solve problems. Um, so these concepts of humanism is what I was hearing during this young man's speech. And to be honest, he was probably unaware of this aspect of the cultural movement during the Renaissance where humanism sprang from and the tools they used um, to invade against the Catholic Church and against Catholic moral theology and medieval scholasticism. But what happened next is what happens with the human brain. That we tend to, you ever know, tend to notice something, right, more often after you acquire that thing? I think, I think we tend to notice things more often once we pay attention to them. For example, I was completely unaware of there being so many Catholic churches until I became a Catholic. Now I'm quite aware of them everywhere. I, every, every city I'm in, I just see Catholic church. And I think it's the same way with cars. Every time I buy a new car, I notice that same car more often. I see it everywhere. I remember the other day, this couple at Costco, they came up to me and they, they said, we, we were behind 
behind you guys in line at the gas station at the Costco gas station and they saw some bumper stickers that Felicia has on the back of the car and they're like these marathon bumper stickers 26.2 and they said they oh we didn't know what that meant we thought it might be a radio station but radio stations don't go that low so they 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 went to the Google and asked the Google what does 26.2 mean and they said oh yeah so we found out you were a marathon runner to which I told him I would never run a marathon in real life those are my wife she runs those ridiculous those ridiculous ridiculous distances for for some unknown reason that I will never understand. But after they left, I told my wife, now they're gonna see twenty six point two everywhere they go. That's just how the brain works. Brain the brain recognition the recognition process. So so now I'm noticing that everywhere people keep talking about being human, 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 as if that's a worthy standard. If being human were enough, then Jesus wasted his time becoming man so that man might become like God. Humanism is anti-Christian in this way because humanity is not our hope. Rather, to be superhuman by becoming divine is our hope. And our prayer is that, that essentially, I mean, that's the principal purpose of the liturgy, isn't it? It's just to make us divine. I mean, if, if mere, if being a mere human being is a standard, then there's no points in eating the whole Eucharist. We should just vomit it out. If being a mere human is our destiny and heaven is not our goal. If being human is all we want for, if we cannot be a superhuman, then this life is all we have. Yet this revival of the philosophy of humanism, I see it everywhere now most prevalent uh we see it in the vaccine narrative everyone needs the vaccine pope francis calls it a moral obligation and he says it's suicidal if you don't get it he emphasized the the vaccine more these days than he emphasizes and he stresses the importance of confession and prayer apparently our salvation is not in christ it's in the vaccine if just 70% of people get the vaccine, we'll be safe, is what they say. Dr. Fauci is the new Moses leading us to the promised land. It's all you hear. Our reliance upon human effort in medicine, this seeking solely rational ways to solve human problems is humanism. And that, uh, in the entire world, I think, it has completely been caught up and is being made to trust in vaccines and masking and distancing and vaccine passports for their safety is something that should concern everyone. The critical race theory, which I've been, I've talked about often on this show, as you know, is, is another thing that points to the revival of humanism. I was on with Dr. Sam Rocha, um, his podcast the other day. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I told him evidence that the critical race theory denies God is that the critical race theory states that one of his goals is to end racism, which is impossible for anyone but God because racism is a sin. Human beings just can't end racism. How does that happen? So if the critical race theory can end sin, then Jesus again wasted his time being crucified and descending into hell. And Sam seemed completely unaware that human beings cannot end sin or that the law cannot end sin. And I was utterly shocked for my part that he is unaware of the consequences of humanity's original sin. But that is exactly what the popular critical race theory teaching 
Yes, it's teaching humanism in a sense. And it's just another idea that seeks solely rational ways to solve human problems. And in, in this case, the critical race theory, it appeals to the law. If we just fix the law, racism will win. If we just produce certain legislation, we'll be able to end racism. There's no appeal to God, no appeal to the supernatural. No, just human agency and human potential. Another way that we see, another place that we see that critical race theory has infected masses of the population with this idea is that when we listen to several, I would say liberal black women like Michelle Obama, who can't wait to tell us how much or how dangerous white police officers are. Or we like to hear from, we oftentimes hear from some effeminate black men like LeBron James, who can't wait to tell us how black people are living in fear and how black people can't live their house, leave their house because of white police officers. At least when I would say when a black Protestant church was leading civil rights movements, you know, we can disagree with key aspects of their agenda, but they would have chastised anyone who spoke like that. There are a number of other reasons why I would say why sometimes black liberal women have bought into this myth that they have to be afraid of their sons leaving the house. But the fact that people like Michelle Obama just can't wait to tell the world how scared she is of white police officers is evidence that the critical race theory has become one of the most powerful vehicles to advance humanism in the past 10 years. If we just fix the law and defund the police, black people will be safe. And that's humanism. Aside from the Vatican essentially telling us that we need to take the vaccine or go or, or we need to go to confession because we have it. One of the people who we've started um, the cause of canonization for, I think, is one of the people who has done more to advance humanism in the Catholic Church than anyone in human history. And her humanistic ideals have influenced people like Jesuit James Martin to suggest that people who have same-sex attraction have a particular unique gift to offer the Catholic Church just because they have same-sex attraction. Because most of the things... Uh, because uh, of the most human things about you, right? Your inclination towards sexual impurity. You have gifts to offer the church. That's the teaching here. The idea that you can look at a sinful human inclination and call it a good and stress its potential as, as a human value is humanism. But James Martin would have been inspired by Sister Thea Bowman, who is now serving a God and is being considered for sainthood who says something similar to this before the United States Catholic, Catholic United States um, Catholic conference of Catholic bishops back in 1989. And I quote out of her book, um, shooting star. She says now with evidence, now the evidence, uh, that she says, I bring myself, my black self, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to become. I bring my whole history, my tradition, my experience, my culture, my African-American song and dance and gesture and movement and teaching and preaching and healing and responsibility as a gift to the church. Now, given that James Martin thinks that people who are born with same-sex attraction and that same-sex attraction is not it's immutable, it's, it, that it can't change, he borrows here from Sister Thea Bowman to apply her words that what is most human about you is a gift to offer to the church. 
Now, the evidence from the personal witness is that Sister Thea Bowman had a deep spiritual life and loved God with every fiber of her being. But her writings that we find in this book, Shooting Star, everything that she, she had ever written is, is evidence of something else of which we cannot converse with her about, but are deeply troubling in this regard. Her teachings are a mix of humanism, romanticism, and black liberation theology at times, but at the root of all of it is this theology that I, I would call it uh, black liberation, humanistic romanticism. And as I said, humanism, it only sees the potential value and goodness in human beings. And this is the same uh, tendency with people who would like to define culture as things that are only good, as if cultures do not also have traditions that are harmful or evil that are passed down. But we do not call those things culture, right? Only the good things that, that society do. We say, oh, that's culture, but not the evil things that men do and pass down. In the case of Sister Thea Bowman, she believes that the Negro slave culture still resides in the DNA of all black Americans whether they are descendants of slaves or not. She writes in this, um, uh, this about black spirituality. And I quote, black American spirituality is at once a response to, and a reflection on black life and culture. It is rooted in our African heritage. It is colored by our middle passage, slavery, our Island and Latin experience, segregation, integration, and our ongoing struggle for liberation. She sees black spirituality through an ecumenical indifferentism, I would say. She writes again, I quote, Our spirituality is influenced by our own experience and that of our peers and forebears in Pentecostal, Baptist, Adventist, Episcopal, Methodist, Catholic, and other churches, making it bear elements of high church and low church, grassroots, down-home cotton patch, and no, institu and no institutional church at all. She even sees catechesis in color, writing, and I quote, for people who are culturally black, black catechesis is effective catechesis. It is rooted in our black spirituality. It is out of these blacks, this, this black spirituality, Sister Thea Bowman says that in the middle of your mass or in the middle of your sermon, a black Catholic might just jump up and say amen or hallelujah or thank you, Jesus. Thea Bowman believed that the liturgy was, was better um, if more humanity was added to it. She writes, and I quote, that the liturgy, that if, the, if the complaint is that the liturgy didn't do anything for you, that's not the complaint. If that's the complaint, then the question should be, what did you do for the liturgy? What did you do for the liturgy? She was correct. And I was saying, believing that there is a participatory aspect of the liturgy. That's true. As St. Augustine said, that the God who saved you without your cooperation will not, God who created you without your cooperation will not save you without your cooperation. Yet Thea Bowman was in error in suggesting that there was something that we could bring to the liturgy to increase it. To view the liturgy as something that needs to, um, needs, uh, uh, to view the liturgy as something that needs you, I think is an, is an assassin's motive. The proper disposition is that what we bring to the liturgy is gifts, not in the sense of increasing the liturgy, but so that we might decrease in ourselves, making an offering to God of ourselves. This is why we offer our gifts that we offer sacrificial offerings. 
there's nothing that we might add to the liturgy because the liturgy is not about us. There's nothing that we can do for the liturgy, as Bowman suggests, because Christ Jesus did it all. If there is some gift that we could bring to the liturgy that we can that could somehow increase it or make it better, again, Jesus wasted his time being crucified, and the Eucharist isn't truly him. Again, I'm not calling Sister Thea Bowman a heretic. I am saying her writings can be easily um, interpreted um, by someone as um, being heretical, right? Or um, interpreted in a way that you can adopt some heretical positions out of her teachings, such as humanism and racism. The notion that people, because of their skin color and because of their historical experience of their ancestors, have unique gifts off of their church, can lead those same people to thinking they're better than others who do not look like them. That these racial gifts that they bring to liturgy somehow makes the liturgy better. To be sure, people who love the tradition, traditional Latin Mass argue that that's the greatest expression of the liturgy. But it's not because they added anything to it. That it was not their race that made the liturgy better than others. And that's different than what the, the Thea Bobin School liturgy is saying. That they, They're saying that it's because of the skin color and race and DNA and culture that the Black Catholic liturgy is better. Liturgical supremacy is one thing, but liturgical supremacy based by rape, based upon racial supremacy, is a big problem. These ideas are dangerous, like all things written in humanism are. In a closing, let me say this. Again, I'm not attacking Sister Thea Bowman. I wish I could argue with her, but I can't. But I am expressing some thoughts about her writings. If Thea Bowman gets her miracles and becomes a saint, my critiques, are st they still stand. Just as they did stand with um, St. John Paul II, people critique his writings or St. Uh, Faustina or, or St. Thomas Aquinas. But, and I'm not even asking for her cause of canonization to cease. But there are questions here. And if you're going to stop the canonization process of Archbishop Fulton Sheen over rumors, then we should take some time and not rush into the canonization process. That's just a Thea Bowman, no matter how earnest and sincere Many are in desiring a black American um, representative, representative saint. The false teaching of humanism is alive and well in the Catholic Church. And we would do well to notice it when we hear it or, or and, and we should push back against it always. All of our hope rests, not in each other, not in just human effort or human potential, but in Jesus Christ and the Father through him and with the Holy Spirit who proceeds from them our hope is not in humanity or anything that is purely human because to be human is not our goal if we do not become superhumans through divinization then this human experience would have been a waste because we would not have fulfilled the true desire of our heart which is to be truly like him with him and in him so it's troubling me it's very troubling to me that humanism is returning in a so prevalent society but that's all I know about that for now. Right after the break, we'll have um, Dr. Mary Schneider of Marquette University College of Nursing and the Institute of Natural Family Planning on to talk about uh, natural family planning from the perspective of a nurse. We'll be right back.
instead of fighting the crowds, isn't it so much easier to hop online and do your shopping in the comfort of your own home? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you shop online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give a little extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Hi, this is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network, and I wanted you to meet two more GRN family members, Kent and Tim. Kent Loney joined the GRN on September 17, 2015. He is the GRN's chief engineer, having the responsibility of keeping all 37 stations operationally on the air. Kent and his wife Kim live in Dallas, Texas, and have three boys and three girls. He loves to camp with his family. Tim Mott is the general manager of our Houston, Texas station, KSHJ, 1430 AM. Tim joined the GRN on March 2, 2016. He and his wife Rachel have one daughter and one son. Tim is a convert to the church and a gifted singer in several sacred music choirs. We are so thankful to our GRN family for all they do to keep the Guadalupe Radio Network stations on the air. This has been your GRN Family Minute. We are your Catholic radio. Radio for your soul. Welcome back in. the first had a show the monologue i was offering uh, some thoughts on the heresy of humanism and how it's affecting society and how it's affecting the catholic church and right before we bring on dr mary schneider we're going to take a quick call from jackson pinckney welcome to the show jackson hey david how you doing i'm doing well doing well so you have some for taking my um, call question about the yeah, yes, you had a question about the um, some thoughts on humanism in the workplace. What's your question? Yeah, what's the what's the uh, what's the counter to this? Because it's pervasive. It's everywhere. I mean, in the corporate setting, it's basically the training of the day. You know, I always say it's uh, corporate entities trying to play church. You know, <laughs> trying to step in there and, and and morally form their employees according to their religion, which is human secularism. Um, uh, the last training I had was uh, becoming aware of unconscious biases. So, um, okay, so we're chasing a ghost. Not only am I biased, but I'm unconscious of this bias. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, okay, is is it really real? (laughs) If If my behavior isn't showing a bias, am I really biased? Right. But anyway, what, how, how do we? How do, my religion so, is Catholicism. Yeah, I, think, <laughs> I don't need your human yeah. secularism. <laughs> Matter of fact, I feel like I'm being, in, in, you know, uh, uh, 
was it, is it a sheep stealing? Is that, what, is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, that's a, that's a really great point because I never thought about it because the, I guess the idea of becoming conscious of something plays into the idea of becoming woke. So you have to become woke to become conscious, right, which is yeah, really interesting. It's, it's, and so, yeah, the secular space has a whole, and I was talking about this with Father Dave Nix um, earlier on my other podcast, and we were talking about how there's a whole new religion out there. You know, the, the secularists, as you say, they have a whole religion of their own. They have a moral law. They have a dogma. They, they have new scriptures that come out daily, right? Um, Dr. Fauci, he is the new Moses that's leading the Exodus. So you, you have all these things in place. And so I think what we, we as Catholics have to do, the only thing we can really do to push back against um, this, this humanism that we see going on in society is that I think we just really have to just really focus on the basics of our faith. I think we become too fancy. And we see this in a lot of our prayers oftentimes, that we want to do a lot of good in the world, but I think we go about it sometimes um, uh, the wrong way because we don't connect it to the liturgy. If the liturgy is our highest form of prayer, then everything we do, everything we believe needs to be connected to that. If the liturgy is trying to divinize us, which is the highest good, then everything we need to do, everything we're doing needs to be connected to the highest good. So in just in a, in a basic context, if, if, um, if we're going to go into the world and to evangelize or to do things such as visit prisoners, minister to the sick, then it always has to come back to the liturgy. We can't go out there and, and, and tell people that we can't go out there and feed the hungry without then doing what Jesus did by pointing them to the true food. We can't go out there and visit prisoners without then pointing people to the true freedom from sin, which is through Christ. So um, I think that's just our mission. We just can't be we just can't be too fancy out here. We just really just have to stick to the basics of what Jesus gave us to proclaim. Okay, sounds good. Thank you, David. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jackson. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. And so, Dr. Mary Schneider, she is coming on the show now. She's. Um, she is a PhD out of Marquette University at the College of Nursing in the Institution of Nat uh, Institute of Natural Family Planning. How's it going, Dr. Schneider? It's going great, David. How are you? Good. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, and I'm so happy to have you here okay. on the show. Well, I'm excited to be here. Um, I have been watching you for probably the last year, and I'm really impressed with your show and all your knowledge. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I think we're about to be impressed with your knowledge. Um, just give us, before we get into, because um, I know you're going to give us some insight onto how we should be thinking about or how you frame natural family planning from the perspective of a nurse. But for those of us who are just now, those in the audience across the Guadalupe Radio Network, and this is our, their first time hearing of Dr. Uh, Mary Schneider. Give us some background about you. Okay, well, I'm um, a wife of 33 years and to my husband, Tony, and I have four children. Um, I have been doing natural family planning as a nurse since 1993. I taught couples uh, for quite a few years the um, ovulation method, specifically the Creighton model. 
Um, okay. I started with Marquette University, the Institute for Natural Family Planning, when it started in 1998 with Dr. Richard Baring, who actually was my NSP teacher, um, okay. or my husband and I, mine. And um, I went through the Creighton Model Education Program to be uh, a teacher for couples and then a teacher for um, the teachers that wanted to learn how to teach couples. And then I, um, as I was working with Dr. Faring, I slowly moved into the Marquette method, which is what I teach now. And I teach couples and I teach um, healthcare providers. So we have a unique system at Marquette at the Institute for Financial Family Planning. Okay, that's, that's very exciting. So there's a Creighton method, which I think, I guess most of us who went through at least some education at the parish before we got married, I, think, I don't think most Catholics, most people even know much about natural family planning. I think what we know isn't everything a nurse knows, but we do come in contact with it, obviously. Um, why, why is natural family, natural family planning important to people of God in particular? Why is it emphasized so much in the Catholic Church? David, I'm so sorry. I, I'm having a hard time hearing you. I wonder if I should make a, uh, do a different connection here. Okay. Why am I not hearing you? Can you hear me better now? Mm. Oh, much better. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so why is natural family planning so important? Why does the church emphasize it so much? Why is it important to people, God? Why is it important, important to Catholics in general, natural family planning? Well, just like it says, it's natural and it's family planning. So it's the woman learning her biological signs of fertility not taking any pills, just learning what her body is saying. And what's really exciting about this is that I'm also a family nurse practitioner, and what's exciting for me about this is as we teach women and couples about their fertility, we see actually um, that we can use it as a diagnostic tool. Because we can see things like um, endocrine disorders, thyroid problems, um, endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome, things like that. So what's really beneficial is if I have a young woman coming to me in the clinic and she says, I think I have PCOS, well, instead of having to do a gamut of tests, blood tests, um, ultrasound, thing like that, I can have her chart for three cycles. And if uh, she okay. can chart for three cycles and do a really good job charting, then I can see whether or not I need to focus on PCOS or is there maybe a thyroid issue. So it helps to um, reduce the amount of diagnostic tests that you have to do. But also, as a nurse, and teaching a lot of nurses how to teach the Marquette method, 
what we are able to do is see how helping a, a woman understand her diet and her lifestyle changes that could actually affect her fertility and improve the cycle and what the cycle is telling us. And that can actually prevent, well, I don't want to say prevent, but it might actually show that there is no need for all these diagnostic tests. Because she can learn how to take care of her health and she can see it in her menstrual cycle. So there's a lot of medical, the American Medical Association, the American College of OBGYNs, the American um, Pediatric Association, all these groups have said the menstrual cycle is another vital sign. It's like blood pressure and temperature, you know, all of these things. So we can see the woman's health. It's like a window into her health and to the couple's reproductive health. So it's very beneficial. Wow. Yeah, that, that's that's amazing. It seems like a, a woman can know about her more about her body than I can ever know. Just <laughs> just through something that happens regularly <laughs> on, on a monthly basis. Wow. Um, so set this up for us. Um, the the distinction. Give us some just some 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 distinctions between what a lot of us may have heard about the the Creighton method versus what your institute is doing at Marquette with the Marquette method. Well, the Creighton method is an ovulation method. And when I say ovulation method, that is primarily looking at cervical mucus. What we have done at Marquette primarily because Dr. Faring is um, very much into objective signs of fertility. We use the clear blue fertility monitor, which looks at urine hormones. And the woman can test these urine hormones at home. And she can look for the two pre-ovulatory urine hormones, estrogen and LH, which then she identifies the peak day or the day of ovulation. And she can then learn to predict when her um, menses is going to be, um, and then also if she is pregnant. So she can see early signs of pregnancy with this. So the um, Clear Blue Fertility Monitor came out in the early 2000s, and we've been using it in studies to look at women in regular cycles, women in breastfeeding, perimenopause, all of these different situations that women can go through. Um, and then we also are a research um, institute. So we have um, several studies that we've done in other areas, but primarily the director of the institute, Dr. Faring, is the one that has led us in a lot of these um, research studies. Yeah, yeah, wow. We're gonna talk about that. So, uh, talking with, speaking with Dr. Mary Schneider, she's a PhD out of Marquette University of College of Nursing, and she's at the Institute for Natural Family Planning. And we're on talking about natural family planning from the perspective of a nurse. If you have any particular questions that you would you would like to 
ask Dr. Mary Schneider about, please call in at 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. So, so the primary distinction between the Creighton method you said which uses mucus as an indicator and the Marquette method, which is using um, the, um, the, the, you said a clear blue fertility monitor, correct? So, so you're still kind of cutting out, David. I'm so sorry, but I think what you said was the um, difference between the Creighton method and the Marquette method was that the Creighton method was um, mucus method and the um, Marquette method is the monitor method. Um, I'd like to just make some correction there. Um, okay. The Marquette method teachers learn all the biological signs of fertility. And so they learn how to identify cervical mucus as fertile or infertile, urine hormones, okay. temperatures. They learn everything because what we believe is that we are only training healthcare professionals to become Marquette model teachers, primarily because we are at Marquette University and in the College of Nursing. So we only train nurses with a BSN or higher or other healthcare providers that are in women's health. And so we believe that if we give them all the tools that they need to identify um, the biological signs of fertility, the different ones that they can work with their couples. And, you know, some couple may not want to use the monitor. There's other urine hormone devices out there. So okay. there might be a couple that says, I just want to use mucus. They might um, teach them about the mucus, the genius behind the Marquette method is the simplification of the identification of the signs. And what I mean by that is cervical mucus is identified as low fertility, high fertility, or peak fertility, where um, it also correlates with the monitor, low fertility, high fertility, peak fertility. So the system is um, very standardized. The other thing that's really exciting about it um, is that there is an algorithm that we use, a fertility algorithm. And that fertility algorithm, it primarily uses the peak days. So the biological indicator of mucus or urine hormones whatever is used to identify day of ovulation or also called the peak day, helps to um, identify the parameters of that algorithm. So our goal is not to keep things very expensive. As nurses, we realize that we want to meet the needs of a larger population of women, and not everybody can use the clear blue fertility monitor or can afford it because it can be um, pricey. Um, but we can use 
the information from the monitor that we've seen in the studies to help to decrease the cost of the method and just um, keep it as effective. So as nurses, we're always looking at how do we simplify but keep the effectiveness because we know that um, women are busy, couples are busy, you know, they've, they're, these families, they're raising children and it's just, it's difficult sometimes to have all these extra purchases and then to try to figure out um, how to interpret all of this. So they need a teacher. So yeah. our goal yeah. is to eventually reduce the cost. Oh, that's beautiful. So we're speaking with Dr. Mary Schneider. She is a PhD out of Marquette University. Uh, we're talking uh, about um, natural family planning and in particular about this Marquette uh, method, which is different from the Creighton method. And it's, it's very, very interesting um, learning more about this. If you'd like to learn more about the, the Marquette method, um, we're going to give you Dr. Uh, Mary Snyder's her contact information. Also, you can call in at 877-757-9424. And, and Dr. Snyder, what is a good way for people to get a hold of you or get to learn more about what Marquette University is doing with the Marquette Method? Well, um, I'm actually excited to tell you that we have a directory of teachers. So our, we have three things that we do at the Institute. We teach couples, we teach healthcare providers, and we do research. Our teachers that come out of our training, they all are encouraged and given the tools to start their own sustainable business. So. If people are looking for a Marquette model teacher, they can go on to www.marquettemethod.com. And that is a directory of our teachers. They can also email me if you have questions. And one of the, one of the, I remember one of the, the one of the complaints that people tend to have about the Creighton method is that it seems to take a lot of effort that I think a lot of people try, they give it a good effort. Um, but after a while, it just seems to become tedious. Of course, there's applications out there on your phone that you can, that you can use to maybe keep track. Uh, but is there, t tell us a little bit about the learning curve or the Mar of the Marquette method and tell us about is this something that's easy and not too time consuming for the person who has a job and has children? Well, the thing is, is we have what is called the Marquette Model Light, and it was designed to be taught in an office visit. 10 minutes, you would have the information you needed to confidently begin the method. Um, you have the Clear Plan Fertility Monitor, which is on the market right now for couples to 
achieve a pregnancy, but we've been using it for all family planning purposes. And the learning curve with that is they purchase the monitor, they have to read the instruction manual. And actually the touchscreen clear blue monitor is very user friendly. Um, and then, you know, they can work with a Marquette model teacher. Now, if you have a situation where you have a woman who, or a couple that um, is, in a, is not in regular cycles, they're postpartum breastfeeding or they're perimenopause, that might be a different situation because there are some situations where a perimenopausal woman, I would not recommend a monitor. And so meeting with a Marquette model teacher would be beneficial just maybe for a consultation. So the method is not something that's just in, um, it's not just a recipe. It's the teacher works with the couple and it's tailored to the couple's needs, what they can um, afford, what they want to do, and things like that. I remember one of the the struggles that we had um, when we got married was that my wife doesn't have ordinary cycles, or I guess we just call it irregular. Um, and so it was it was difficult to monitor that to, to keep track. Um, so how does how does the how does the Marquette method assist with irregular um, cycles? Well, um, again, because there's only healthcare providers that are trained, they are using their, the first thing is, is to help the couple to be good charters, okay? Mm -hmm. So that you can see what's going on in the woman's cycle. And then, We've got tools that we can use to identify, like I had said earlier, is this something that could be stress-related? Could it be related to diet, mm -hmm. exercise, things like that? So the benefits of having just healthcare providers providing instruction is immense because yeah. if the couple charts um, and chart well, that's the first step we have to do is help them to learn how to chart and chart well. And then we can see, you know, what's the next step we need to take them to. And as nurse, and with many, many nurses out there that are teaching the Marquette method, there's many things that you can discuss before you even get to the point of, well, you know, you have irregular cycles, you need to see the doctor. The other thing is, is we um, believe, because this is an evangelization tool, kind of like you were talking about earlier, is evangelization. Well, this is an evangelization tool. So if there's a woman and a couple that has irregular length cycles, um, and the nurse has worked with them to try and find, identify, is it um, diet-related, is it uh, exercise-related, other things. 
and they still have these irregular cycles, well then, what we encourage them to do is, first of all, we've empowered the couple to know everything they can about their cycle, what's going on, mm. and why. Then we encourage them to go to their primary care provider. They don't need to go to a MAPRO doctor or an NFP-only doctor. They need to just go to the provider they've had because as nurses, and what we're doing is we're empowering them to walk into that office and say, here's my chart, here's what's going on, can you help me? They can make the decision. That provider can say, I don't have time for this, or they can say, you know what, I'm interested, so let's work together. And that's the beauty of working with healthcare providers that are looking at charting and what's going on in the chart. So that's that's the important thing, you know. And then we have that nice um, relationship continuing, and we are evangelizing. It's not just. Um, targeting to stock or looking for doctors that know how to do this because any doctor should be able to read a Marquette message chart, any doctor. Yeah. 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 And it's, it sounds like it's, it's really <laughs> one of the really easy way. I wish we would have had this when we, when we first got buried. This is, <laughs> this is great. Um, and, and, and so, so we're talking with Dr. Mary Schneider. Um, she is Marquette university. Um, she's talking to us about the Marquette method. Um, she gave us a couple of resources of places you can go to find out more. We posted them on our Facebook page. One is MarquetteMethod.com. There you can find an instructor um, to be your guide and walk with you, uh, walk with you through this and, and give you all the tools that you need for natural family planning, which is like Dr. Mary said, natural family planning. Uh, and also, there's another site, MM, as in Mary Mary, NFP, Natural Family Planning, MM, Natural MMNFP.com. Um, you go there, there's a lot of information there. Um, you can learn more so, about, about this method. David, I want to I wanna find out what you are um, saying as far as MM. There is a group out there that is not Marquette Method but they are using MM as uh, in their Facebook. So we oh, okay. have yeah, a logo think it's them. Yeah. and only Marquette model teachers that go through our training use the logo. Okay. And so the logo, tell us I what, use tell us what the logo looks email. like. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So I guess when you're doing something good, people want to imitate. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So, <laughs> but they're not healthcare awesome. providers, and they're taking money, and oh. so we have to be careful. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Thanks for letting us know that. So, uh, MarquetteMethod.com is a great source you go to to actually find actual people, nurses who have went through the program. As far as the research you've done, and we have just under. Um, a minute now. Tell us um, 
have you found out based upon your research as far as couples using this to get pregnant what's the success rate versus other methods as far as the couples to get pregnant um <laughs> that's uh actually i i would have to get back to you on that because i primarily focus on um avoiding pregnancy during postpartum breastfeeding during lactation and amenorrhea uh, and the next six cycles that transition when couples really don't want to get pregnant so that's not my area um, but i know that dr faring has looked at that with some others and i can certainly get that information to you awesome dr mary thanks for coming on to talking um, the David O'Gray Show, voicing truth and reason. And welcome uh, and thank you for tuning in. And we'll be back same time next week. And remember that Jesus loves you and he's there for you. And to live your life like salvation matters. Thanks for listening. Thirteen, twelve. Uh, what are you doing, Cecil? Nine. Oh, are you counting down the seconds until our summer speaker series tickets with Father John Ricardo go on sale? One. I gotta go get my tickets. Bye. Uh, I guess I'll do the rest of the spot alone then. The tickets for our thirteenth annual summer speaker series are on sale now. Join us for an evening of food fellowship and a presentation by Father John Ricardo, all in support of Catholic Radio. The event is happening Thursday, August fifth, beginning at six p.m. in the grand ballroom of the Irving Convention Center. Tickets and discounted hotel rates can be found at grnonline.com. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education